we're tagging with the Hannafords. The Hannafords came back yesterday and then we, they'll be back and we're going. So it's nice to see you back, Prue and Michael. It's great to have you. And uh, it's just wonderful. I was sitting here at the front thinking there's no place like this. When we're thinking about going away, and it is important to go away and have a rest, um, particularly with the pace of life, it's really important. But I always, I will miss being here as a part of this family because there's something amazing about worshipping here and being a part of this family. You know, it's just awesome. And I want you, you know, to know how much we love you and we're going to miss you. And that's not, I'm just not saying that, I mean that. But we will be praying and it gives us time to pray and to seek God and to hear from him, as Jess said, to get fresh vision for the next season that God has for us. So we're excited about that. It's great to see all these great young people. They've been at a camp this weekend. Let's welcome them back. Fantastic. We've been down in Sydney and um, full on, just got back late last night. And here they are filling the rows this morning at the front. Well done. Good on you. Congratulations. Excellent. Great young people. We love you. And um, we're so glad that you're a part of this church family. And all the leaders who are supporting them, good on you. Even if you had to go without some sleep, that's what it's like with um, looking after young people. And so we're coming to the conclusion of our, um, this series about being salt and light. It's in a part of a sermon that Jesus is teaching through Matthew 5 and 6. And, but it's because we come to the conclusion of it in actual talking about it here in church, it's really important that we don't put this away from our mind. It's really important that these these beatitudes, these things that tell us how we should live are a part of every day because this is how we will be salt and light. This is how we're going to make a difference in the world if we live the way that Jesus has um, told us to live. And he said that if we live that way, we're going to be blessed. So I think that if we want blessing, then we need to live the way that Jesus told us to live. And if we look at Matthew 5 and go through that carefully, just keep re- reflecting on it. Don't just stop because we change, you know, we've, we've sort of finished the weeks here. Keep pressing forward with it. So we come to verses 10 to 12. This is the final one, the eighth beatitude. And I'm going to read it from the message. Chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even, for though they don't like it, I do. And all of heaven applauds. And know that you're in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Who wants the applause of heaven? Amen. It says then, if you want the applause of heaven, you have to stand up for Christ. No matter what, no matter what it costs, no matter what it takes. That's how you'll get the applause of heaven is stand up for Christ, no compromise, stand. Despite what people say, what people do, stand for Christ. In fact, it says here the word is blessed. 
Now, we often translate the word blessed as happy. You're happy when, you know, you, um, you're pure in heart because you're going to see God. And, uh, or sometimes the, the word blessed can be translated as given like something, a reward or, or, a, or a, uh, you know, some sort of remuneration or possessions or something like that. That's blessing. But uh, I was reading in, in preparation for this message, and there's another translation from the Hebrew of the word blessing, ashar, which means not happy or about getting possessions, but it actually means you're on the right road. And I really think that's what this is all about. Because if you're going to say, blessed are you when you are persecuted, I guess you're not going to feel that happy about that or you're not going to feel like you've been given some great possession. But you, are no, but you do know that you are on the right road if you are being persecuted when you stand for Christ. Being on the right road means that we are becoming more Christ-like. We're demonstrating genuine Christ-likeness. And this could mean, it may mean it, will mean in some cases that we will be persecuted because we're like Jesus and he was persecuted. So this eighth beatitude points to the fact that those who faithfully live by the principles of Jesus, as pointed out in the first seven beatitudes that we've talked about, if you live like that, you are going to stand out from the crowd. People will notice the difference. And the world has always been intolerant of people who stand for Christ, who stand out from the crowd because they live the way that he lived. The world is intolerant of God's righteousness. And those who live in darkness hate light. So in some ways, this beatitude is a paradox. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake and you know Jesus would have known this was a hard one to bring to his followers he he knew that they would find this difficult to accept and i've got to tell you i did i found it difficult when i realized um graham was going to be away and he asked me to swap this is the very one i didn't want to speak on and I'd worked it out because i sort of do the preaching roster i'd worked it out that i did last week which was about peace. And uh, then he did this week, which was about persecution. But then he had to go to South Korea and uh, he said, can we swap? And I ended up with persecution. And uh, I didn't want to do it. And I said to Jess, you know, people don't want to hear that they're going to be persecuted. People don't want to hear that. They're not going to feel good about that. They're not going to feel like this is a good thing to listen to. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. I'm going to have a hard time. Life's going to be difficult. But it's truth. It's the word of God. So we can't back away from truth. But it also doesn't say blessed are you when you are being persecuted because you're being obnoxious or when you're being, you know, arrogant about the way you speak about the word of God or when you think you're holier than thou attitude towards people it doesn't say that's that's a sort of blessed it's talking about when you are persecuted for righteousness sake persecuted for righteousness sake 
In fact, in 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14, it says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. This is not about us. This is not about how we feel. This is actually about him. And when we stand for him, no matter how hard that is, if his glory is revealed, we're going to experience true joy. We're going to know that we are on the right road when we're doing that. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of God is resting on you. Do you want that? Do you want the spirit of God on you? then don't be surprised if you have to suffer for that. In 1 Peter 4, 15 to 16, it goes on to say, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. In other words, we're not, you know, we're not suffering because we're doing the, the wrong thing. We're suffering for righteousness' sake. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. What a privilege to bear the name of Jesus. What a privilege that is. And it may not be easy. And it may be challenging. You know, when you do exercises, and um, I'm learning a little bit about this, just on the first step. So I've taken that first step, a step closer. Uh, resistance is, it's resistance that actually makes you stronger. So as you, you know, increase the resistance in your exercising, is this right, Geordie? Then it makes you stronger, okay? <laughs> so think about David and Goliath. You know, if, if, if David hadn't have come up against Goliath, would he have been the person he is. You know, that was a challenge. He's standing before a whole army. He was being mocked by a giant. What a challenge. What persecution in some ways. And and he stood there. He could have been slaughtered like that, but he stood there bearing the name of God. Yes, when we face the challenges of life, when we have these difficult circumstances, then that is when we are going to become stronger. That is why bearing the name of Christ is such a privilege. And Jesus wasn't persecuted because he was good. There's lots of good people in the world who never, ever cause any trouble to anybody. No one gets upset by them. They're just good people and they do a a good thing. Jesus was persecuted because he was righteous. And there's a difference. You see, when you are righteous, when you are following God and you commit yourself to him and you live by his standards, then it makes some people feel uncomfortable. I mean, sometimes I haven't said a word and I'll be, I could be somewhere and someone or they might say something that's inappropriate and then they'll turn straight away and say, oh, I'm so sorry. So what is it? Why do they say that? Why do they suddenly turn around and say, you know, feel uncomfortable because I'm standing there and they've said something? So you see, when we stand for righteousness, then it will make people feel uncomfortable. Some people even feel guilty. And it's not us. It's not our righteousness. Our righteousness is but as filthy rags. But when Christ covers us, we're covered with his righteousness. Righteousness. 
And when we stand in that, that is what makes them feel uncomfortable. That is what makes them feel guilty because they actually are standing before God and his standard. And that challenges people. So don't, don't be concerned if that happens because if you're standing for righteousness sake, it will happen. People will feel like that, you know, well, they could feel confronted by the righteousness of Christ. In John 15, 18 to 22, it says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So sometimes we don't even need to say anything. But when we live a righteous life according to God's standards, people can feel convicted or even guilty. And so what happens is they don't want to feel that way, so they react. And they try to make themselves comfortable by making you feel or me feel uncomfortable. They accuse you of being judgmental because they just your very life could make them feel uncomfortable. You might not be, be being judgmental at all, but they just feel confronted. And that can happen when we bear Christ's name. So... How should we respond to persecution? We're going to talk a little while about the persecuted church around the world. And I guess people experience persecution in different ways. You know, I know I have a a young friend who, um, she's become a Christian and her parents hate it. And they give her such a hard time that she just struggles with that. They are mean to her because she stands for Christ and they don't want her to have any part of it. I think that's persecution. That's not easy to bear when you live in a home where your parents hate you because you're standing for Christ. Remember what that verse said. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. And it's not that they hate you, it's what you stand for. They're confronted by Christ and they don't want to know about that, so they want to reject you and what you represent. So there is that sort of persecution that people can have in this country, but generally we have freedom, don't we? We are pretty free to choose what we want to do. I mean, we're free to speak how we want to speak. We've got freedom of speech. We're, We're very fortunate here that we have that and so we don't face that degree of persecution that people face around the world and I want to talk about that towards the end but if you do face persecution because you stand and people don't like you standing or maybe it's just that very thing of Christ in you confronts someone else how do we respond the first thing is guard against compromise You can be assured that one way to end persecution is to be like the people you're with. Laugh at the jokes. You know, if you don't, if you stand apart in, you know, bearing Christ's name, sometimes people will will think, you know, particularly young people, they'll, they'll make fun of you or they might sort of have a go at you because you're not laughing at the rude jokes or you're not aligning yourself with what they're saying. But 
don't compromise. It's really important that you stand firm because compromise will stop persecution for sure. You'll just become like them. Then they won't feel bad anymore. The second thing is that when we are persecuted for righteousness sake because we bear the name of Christ, we need to love our enemies. You know, it's easy to openly retaliate against someone who's having a go at you. It's easy to feel resentful towards them. And even if you don't say anything, to hold it in your heart because of the way that they're treating you, the way that they could be speaking against you, saying wrong things about you. It's even easy to, in your mind to think of ways you could get even with them because they're hurting you. But God wants us to love our enemies and break the cycle of revenge. Instead of lashing out with anger, God calls us to, in Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Our purpose in blessing them is to show the love of Christ. And eventually people cannot help but respond to the love of Christ in a way that is uncompromising, non-judgmental, given freely. That's their hope. And so if we keep loving them, there is a chance. I was reading a story about this um, man in Iraq and these soldiers were sent in to uh, kill these Christians. And um, this, this particular soldier uh, was, you know, they were People were praying and there's just around the world, Christians are being killed every day because they will not deny the name of Christ. But in this circumstance, as he went in, he was expecting reaction and antagonism from these these Christians that he was going in to kill. and, And all he got from them was love and was this reaction that he just couldn't understand and it caught him off guard and then he, he sort of stopped and because he stopped, he suddenly thought, what am I doing? And he didn't fulfill his duty and their lives were spared all because there was this attitude of love towards him just in that moment and the presence of Christ transformed that situation. Now that doesn't happen in every circumstance but when we love people, even if at first they, they are confronted by that, eventually it will move them. Even if it's not to us, it may be in a future circumstance. Romans twelve seventeen to 21 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, says the Lord. I will repay. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What's our response to persecution? We should pray for the people who persecute us or persecute other people. Jesus said in Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said, love your enemy. Sorry, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So if someone's giving you a hard time because you're a Christian, pray for them. Start praying for them. And it's going to change the circumstance. Love them and pray for them. And you will see them come 
or you may not see them, but they will come to a point where they will accept Christ because they can't resist who he is. It also says that we should rejoice when we have persecution. Do you feel like you can rejoice in the face of persecution? Well, the reason is because we have a genuine relationship with Jesus. That's why we can rejoice because he actually becomes our heartbeat. He becomes our reason for living. And if we, then we can rejoice because we have that. And it, it helps us to depend more upon God. It helps us to rely on him. Because if you're in a difficult circumstance, would you agree that if you're struggling, that's the time you'll go to God more? Is that right? When things are hard, that's when you'll go to God. Things falling apart, go to God. And so when things are harder, it helps us to be more reliant on God. And so that's another reason that we can rejoice because it's teaching us stronger dependence, stronger reliance on God. And it says in 1 Peter 5.10, And the God of all grace, who called you to this eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. It also concludes by saying rejoice and be glad when this happens because great is your reward in heaven. In the early days of the Christian church, there was a a young man who went around persecuting Christians. He would kill them and torture them and make life hell for them. And he he was zealous about this. He believed he was doing the right thing. And then one day he had an encounter with Jesus. And on the road to Damascus, he was struck by the presence of God and Jesus spoke to him and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, do you have to understand that persecution is not about us, it's about Christ. They're persecuting him, not us. Because we represent him. That's why it happens. But once he met the living Christ, his life was changed. And look at the impact he had on the Christian church. You know, he wrote so much of the New Testament because he had an encounter with the living Christ. And when we have an encounter with Christ, our lives change. It can't be anything but transformational. And it will transform our lives and it will transform the lives of the people that we meet and it will transform future generations if we have an encounter with the living Christ because he is transformational in himself. And so as we consider this this morning, you might be sitting there thinking, well, you know, it's not too hard. I don't, you know, I might get a little bit of, you know, criticism or a little bit of a few people saying a few things because I'm a Christian it's not too bad for me I want us to think about the church around the world because we're actually part of the church and it says in the word that when one part hurts we all should hurt when one part suffers we all suffer and so to this morning in bringing this message to a conclusion i'm actually actually asking you now to think about others 
Down the front here, I've got 25 candles lit because around these countries in the world, these people are being salt and light in a way that we can't even comprehend. Open Doors is an organisation that cares for the persecuted church around the world. And over here we have number one, the most extreme persecution happens in North Korea. And it goes right through the top 25 countries where Christians experience the most persecution from extreme to severe. I didn't put in moderate or mild. These countries are where people suffer because they bear the name of Christ and they die because they bear the name of Christ. And I'm not going to go into all the stories this morning because I couldn't tell you them without breaking down because they're too confronting for me. But I I read one that was in Iran and there were these, these, sorry, sorry, Syria, Syria. And there were these, there was this Christian leader in the community and he went into his people and he said, you need to get out of here. You need to get out because they're going to come and kill you. And he said, you've got, you've, you've got to get out tonight if you don't. And, and these Christians said, we can't leave our villages. We can't leave them. Now, these villages were not Christian. But they said, we can't just leave them without supporting them. We are their life. We, we, we look after them and we care for them. We can't go. And so these 11 Christian leaders in that, in that town, in that village, stayed And in came the troops and I won't even describe the horrific torture and death that they experienced. But they would not deny the name of Christ. They would ask, deny the name of Christ and you can go. And they wouldn't. Women treated in a way that's horrific. I can't even imagine. But then they described how there's this one woman and in the midst of something in front of the whole of the, the, the town, what was done to her was horrific. She stood there and she just kept saying the name of Jesus. And they said there was a, a joy on her face and a light in her eyes that could not be described. She stood and she just looked. These are people who know the transforming love of Christ to be everything, everything to them, everything. More than life itself. Christ means more to them than life itself. A 12-year-old boy, they said, you just say you don't love Jesus and you can go. I will not deny. My Jesus, this little boy said, and his life was taken. This is happening a month ago. This is not, we're not talking history here, we're talking now. We're talking around the world. And people, we need to pray. We need to be part of the, we are part of the church. We need to take up the responsibility to pray for our brothers and sisters who are willing to stand and bear the name of Christ and not compromise and not run away, but be bold for him. Because he was bold for them. And so as you look along these countries, 25 countries of the top 50, 
from extreme to severe. Today I'm going to ask you, I'm the light, the candle will burn because these people bear the name of Christ and the light shines in the darkness. But I'm going to ask you to come and take a flag which represents one of these countries. But don't, don't take it just because I'm asking you to. Only come and take it if you're willing to pray. If you're willing to pray for these people, for the Christians in these countries who are willing to stand up. You know, some of these countries, there's no Christian church, there's no cross, there's no buildings because there's no church that you can see. It's all underground because that's the only way they can meet. To have a Bible in North Korea is to be shot. You cannot have a Bible in North Korea. That Otherwise, you that's, that's it. They will track your, um, you know, Googling, what do you call it? Internet usage. So therefore... As um, Luke and Jess, we're going to look to the screen first and just watch a short video and then Luke and Jess are going to come and bring um, a presentation to us. As we do, I just want us to pray. We've got time. Just this last time of this morning, I want us to pray. And if you really feel that you are willing to commit to pray for one of these countries, then I want you to come and take a flag of that country. And put it before you at home every day to pray for these people so that they can stand strong, so that they can keep being the light in the hardest of circumstances. Let's be brothers and sisters in Christ together today. Blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.